If you're not getting adequate sleep, deep sleep, and have good oxygen while you're sleeping, you can't have normal levels of testosterone. You know, all the other things too are important, but sleep is one third of your entire life. So if you can't get that optimized, the other stuff doesn't matter. Welcome to the Path Podcast. I'm Mike Salemi. I believe that uncharted trails make the best life stories. So take a deep breath, put one foot in front of the other, and trust the ground under your feet. Join me in discussions on health, performance, business, leadership, and spiritual self-mastery because these topics are windows into how well each of us have learned to trust our own path. Let's go. This is a Soul Fire production. Today on the show, we've got Johnny Suarez. Now, Johnny is a doctor of Chinese medicine and acupuncture. He also has an extensive background in functional medicine and is an upper level Czech practitioner and holistic lifestyle coach. Now, while our conversation today can apply to anybody, we really dive into specifically how to optimize male health and male hormones. He goes over the many things that we should be looking at before we start, for example, diving into TRT, testosterone replacement therapy. I know that's a super hot topic today. And he really breaks down what are the things that he's looking at out of the thousands of clients that he's worked with over the years before someone were to entertain that idea. He shares his thoughts on that, of course, and focusing on things like sleep optimization, kids' nutrition, different lab markers to look for. Johnny is also one of the facilitators at the Men of Movement Retreat. He brings in meditation, qigong, tai chi, as well as a whole host of other skills that has really elevated our retreats. And so today, I am so glad and happy to bring you someone who I really consider as one of the foremost experts in the space. And so get ready to learn a lot because we're about to dive in with Johnny Suarez. You and I have had multiple conversations and really where I want to kind of gear the conversation today to, is towards, you know, optimizing male hormones. Mm-hmm. And you do with, I mean, you've dealt with so many things in your practice, but especially your background in Chinese medicine and functional medicine. I'm really curious when it relates to becoming a more vital man, uh, having stronger or just more potent sexual cravings as a man mm-hmm. um, and stepping up in vitality as a man, what are, you know, the primary hormones that you tend to see and, or what are people looking towards that are looking and seeking to optimize that aspect of themselves? Right. So, you know, testosterone is obviously the primary male hormone that most guys are looking to optimize, um, for vitality, for vigor, for, Mm. you know, uh, you know, trying to perform at your best, but there are other aspects of physiology and hormones that sort of need to be evaluated uh, and addressed before we can even consider optimizing testosterone. And that uh, those areas are uh, blood sugar physiology and stress physiology and inflammation. And the hormones associated with those, that physiology is insulin and cortisol And then there's a bunch of other kind of inflammatory hormones that kind of go along with that. So before you even look at someone's T levels or whatever you're looking at for testosterone, these are the things that you're actually looking to and prioritizing even more so or as a prerequisite before you even start dabbling at all with that stuff. Is that accurate? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because if you have blood sugar dysregulation, essentially, if you're having surges of insulin based off your diet, based off of stress, like all those. So, so 
over-consuming carbohydrates or just imbalanced diet, even just having periods of stress will throw off your insulin regulation. And uh, the more that you have insulin that's going up, going down, um, you will perpetuate um, uh, certain physiology that uh, basically decreases testosterone. Hmm. And over time, you build in this pattern because of the behaviors of how you live your life. So now you're ingraining a pattern into your nervous system of behavior. And now your nervous system is, you know, running your, you know, influencing your hormones. So if you have a, uh, a set of behaviors that is pushing you to be super stressed all the time based on what's going on in your life or overeat or eat, you know, high sugar, high carb type foods. Now you're sort of stuck in this cycle where you have this self-perpetuating issue that's really keeping you from thriving. And so that's, those are the areas that I evaluate first. With that blood sugar regulation piece, you know, I imagine that there is both objective measurements of blood sugar, but also subjective dysregulation. What do you tend to see, you know, uh, even in, in both, like subjectively when someone, you know, is experiencing blood sugar dysregulation, what are the signs and symptoms that someone can identify as like, oh, okay, that, that rings true for me. So any, any dysregulation in your energy levels, first of all, like if you are just having issues with energy, maintaining consistent, sustainable energy, uh, that's the first thing. And one of the questions that I even ask on my uh, intake forms is, you know, when you eat a meal, do you feel tired after the meal? Do you feel like you have more energy after the meal? Or do you feel like your energy is same, stable? Because if it's anything other than same or stable, you probably have some dysregulation going on. So if after a meal you feel like a little, sl little slow, a little tired, and like you want to take a nap, um, that's probably a sign that, uh, uh, you know, you, your, your blood sugar just crashed huh. and you maybe ate mm. too, you exceeded your carbohydrate tolerance. And so you're experiencing a moment of, of blood sugar crash and you feel tired. Um, and then there's the other, the opposite is like, well, I feel like I have more energy. Isn't that great? Well, it, you may feel more energy immediately after the meal. And in some respects, that's great, but it's also a sign that, you know, if your energy starts to drop shortly after that, then you're having a high and a low. So I've noticed that for sure, you know, and I've, I've, I've absolutely experienced, I mean, food and meal time is like the, one of the things that just like sleep, like we need to do it every single day to survive mm -hmm. and thrive, but also we typically eat at least two plus three times a day. Mm -hmm. And so we're constantly getting feedback in that perspective, but I've absolutely experienced that where sometimes I'll feel like the next maybe five, like right after I'm like, Oh, feel this surge of energy and this mm -hmm. clarity, but then maybe 20 or 30 minutes later, I'll have this dip. Yeah. What's the window that you're paying attention to or inviting people to pay attention to as it relates to maybe like checking in with themselves if this food or, or what I'm eating is supporting or adversely affecting. Yeah. So it can be immediately after the meal up to two hours. Oh shit. Okay. Yeah. So I'm telling people or, you know, asking patients to, you know, just pay attention to how you're feeling immediately after the meal up to two hours. And if your energy 
mood and focus is often any way, if it's not stable, then if it's changed in, in negatively in some way, then there's a good chance that whatever you ate or the quantity of what you ate was mm. off. So even if you have healthy food, you could still be eat overeating calories and it's just, you know, it's going to raise blood sugar. So if you're eating a ton of protein, you're eating a ton of carbohydrate, you can still, you know, it's healthy food, but you can still just push your, uh, yourself over the, the, the limit when it comes to glucose. And then you'll have a crash or you'll have a change in focus or even mood. That makes total sense. And as it relates to, you know, I know you're, you're huge on biochemical individuality and everyone being a unique fingerprint of themselves. That being said, I'm curious, is there something either for all people or for men, as it relates to like starting their day, is there some recommendation or thing that you found to be successful or is it super individual what someone eats first thing in the morning or when they eat to keep their blood sugar stable? Yeah. So I'm definitely a fan of intermittent fasting and getting people, getting guys, almost everyone though, to have a longer overnight fast to give their body more time to uh, essentially use up any glucose um, that's been too elevated. And there's ways of testing that um, to get an idea of where you're at with that. Mm. But um, yeah, based off the research, we do really well with having condensed eating windows of like eight to nine hours. So like that being the first thing of just drink water in the morning, you know, and, and, you know, it's fine to have some coffee and whatnot, but, uh, giving your body more time in the fasted state while hydrating in the morning is one of the best things that you can, that you can do just to get your day going. You'll typically have more energy. You'll typically feel better. You'll feel lighter. It may take some time for some people to adapt to that because if your metabolism is so carbohydrate based and your metabolism has not been uh, adept at accessing stored fat to convert to ketones to use for energy, Mm. then you can have a period where you're not feeling so good and uh, it's fine. You can go a little slower. You can, you know, eat a little earlier if you need to kind of thing. Um, but the idea, the I- ideal state would be to become a little bit more fat adapted so that you are now capable of using fatty acids and ketones as energy versus just a predominantly uh, glucose based metabolism where you're now needing energy like every few hours. Right. And that's Mm. what I see clinically with people that are not fat adapted. So you see it in kids, right? Kids that are carb addicts, right? They, they're sugary cereals all day and shit milk every, every, every two to three hours they're they're looking for something, right? right? Because they're there. You can see their moods start to go down. You see the kids, you know, like they're getting like, you know, throwing tantrums or whatever, or getting hangry. <laughs> and then you just see, like, if you give them a little, like, you know, they get a little bar or whatever cookie or candy, and then they pick up a little bit, but then, you know, they go through this roller coaster. It's because they're on a carbohydrate based metabolism. So if you can get your body to start to shift into a more fat based metabolism, at least the ability to go back and forth. Um, but you'll find quickly that once you become more fat adapted, that your energy is super consistent, super steady. And this is what I've found. And I've, you know, uh, one of the things I do in my practices, uh, I have people test their blood ketones and glucose with uh, a keto mojo uh, device. Is that a finger prick thing or is that something else? Yeah, finger okay. prick thing. And it's got two different test strips with it. It's got a glucose test strip and a ketone test strip. Interesting. Okay. 
And um, so they say basically right around 0.5 uh, ketones is uh, starting to kind of get into that fat adaption ketosis state. And so, you know, I tell people anywhere from 0.5 up to two, like you don't need to get into the higher ranges unless like you're really pushing for weight loss for, for a period of time, which you may need to do. But, you know, just just to start getting a little fat adapted and start to change your physiology from a glucose roller coaster, insulin roller coaster based metabolism. This is uh, one way to start doing it is just start doing some time restricted eating, have a longer <laughs> fasting period in the morning. And um, yeah, if you're savvy enough and you want to start testing your, your glucose and your ketones in the morning, then that's what I would recommend. Test it, you know, either first thing in the morning or before your first meal and see if you can, um, the, the, the goal is to kind of get your, your blood ketones to about 0.5. That's just like barely entering into ketosis, which is fine. And then a glucose of around 90 or lower. Okay. Yeah. Because what I find with, um, a lot of guys is when I get their blood tests back, their glucose are high nineties or above the hundreds. And now that's, that can be okay. If you're like, if you're on the carnivore side of things, um, that's a whole another conversation, but for the general pop, uh, if you're eating the kind of standard mixed diet of things, uh, we don't really want to see your glucose around a hundred or higher because you, the longer that you keep glucose high in the bloodstream, the more longer it has time to inflame the arteries. So technically glucose is more, is much more toxic than fatty acids in our bodies. So we have a marker on the blood test called hemoglobin A1C. Mm. And this is the, the marker. It's really important to evaluate because uh, it, it's called hemoglobin A1C because hemoglobin is the protein in your red blood cells. And then it's, uh, it's measuring the amount of glycation, or you can think of caramelization of sugar on a red blood cell. So imagine like caramelizing onions in a pot, right? It turns brown and sticky and that's what happens when it oxidizes. Mm. The same thing is happening to glucose on red blood cells when you measure that hemoglobin A1C. So the higher that number is, uh, the more glycation stickiness is beginning to happen to your red blood cells because your body doesn't want to have glucose high in the bloodstream for too long. That's why insulin goes up to shove glucose in cells because it says, okay, like the blood sugar goes too high. That's not good. So whereas fatty acids, they can actually stay in the high in the bloodstream for no long time. No problem. Like the, the body does not inflame against that. It's not, they don't oxidize the same way. So this is why we actually evolved on a more animal-based diet. You know, we, we, uh, we didn't have access to the uh, carbohydrates that we have access to today, essentially. All the fruits and vegetables, you know, before agriculture were smaller, denser, more fibrous, more riddled with seeds, like extremely difficult to extract any amount of nutrition out of very labor intensive. Right. So for millions of years, we obviously hunted animals and followed the animals. So we were always going in and out of ketosis on an animal, a more animal based diet because we either had a kill and we ate and then we fasted for long periods or, you know, we, we, if we were starving, then we might look for plant foods and try and extract nutrients out of them. But 
uh, it was much more labor intensive. So, so really, you know, genetically our, our physiology is, does much better on this more animal based diet. We can still eat plants. We can still tolerate some of those to a certain degree. There's a whole conversation to be, to be had on the carnivore side of things with plant toxins and stuff like that, which obviously we don't need to get into, but, um, I just, the first kind of bit of advice that I like to give guys is, um, we want to shift you towards a bit more of a fat based metabolism, a, uh, fat burning metabolism. And to do that, we really want to, uh, promote more animal based diet and not overconsume starch, carbohydrates, and sugar. And with that, like, so let's say someone is doing, um, you know, is making this transition to hopefully becoming a little bit more fat adapted and being able to alternate those energy sources a little bit more fluidically. Mm -hmm. What would you say, um, is there a, like an, uh, a time frame that typically, you know, someone who's starting with what you're saying, a little bit of intermittent fasting, maybe having a little bit more animal-based foods, is this something that could change, uh, in someone, you know, in 24 hours, or is this something that takes like three weeks to really start feeling and noticing a shift? What's, what might be an average thing that you tend to see? Yeah, it definitely depends on where the individual is at with their, their metabolism and their diet. So if they're like, eating super high carb, you know, and, uh, lots of sugar and junk food and not, then, then they'll tend to need to go slower because okay. they will just crash hard. Now you, sometimes those people can make an abrupt shift and they go through a sort of period of feeling like crap, but then it's over faster and then they can start feeling better sooner or it may be too disruptive to their life. And so they need to go a little slower. And so that can take several weeks, you know, uh, anywhere from like, uh, you know, could be, could be a few months for some of those people. Okay. Um, but, um, you know, I would say most people, when they start, um, making, uh, these changes, they can, uh, adapt within a few weeks. That's super helpful to know. And one thing that, that just came up that I feel like I had heard or read something about this. It's been a few years since I looked into it, but I'd be really curious to hear your perspective. In times of stress, or especially when someone is lacking sleep or their mm -hmm. sleep gets totally thrown out of whack, mm -hmm. what effect does that have on someone's blood sugar regulation? Like like outside of not even changing food, but just like sleeping or in stress stressful states. Yeah, it's basically, um, I'm pretty sure it's been shown that, uh, your insulin levels will remain high, mm. which insulin is the fat storage hormone and insulin, um, when it's too high and when you're going through spikes, uh, essentially, uh, it will disrupt, um, communication between, uh, the brain and the testes. So, uh, there's a hormone that the brain and the pituitary gland secretes called luteinizing hormone or LH, which stimulates, uh, the testes to release testosterone. So blood sugar dysregulation or sleep and inflammation are the three hmm. biggest things that will disrupt the communication between brain and testes, therefore giving you a representation of low testosterone on blood labs and how you feel. Wow. That's fascinating. 
Okay. Okay. Very cool. And so you were saying uh, you're looking at before you're even remotely considering looking at testosterone, you're looking at blood sugar regulation. And then was this next thing inflammation was the other thing you were mm-hmm. looking at. So yep. how does that play a role and what are you looking at for that specifically? Yeah. So one of the uh, areas, so there's some general inflammatory markers that most docs and most functional medicine practitioners look at, which uh, high sensitivity C-reactive protein is one of them. Um, ESR or erythrocyte sedimentation rate, uh, the homocysteine levels, fibrinogen, ferritin, which is a marker sort of for iron storage, but also inflammation. And then the whole iron panel. And that's Mm. something that I wanted to sort of bring more attention to as a source of inflammation, because I think it doesn't get enough attention because I can't tell you how many times clinically I've seen guys with low testosterone and they have this sort of subclinical picture of hemochromatosis, which is essentially just means iron overload. And you can have a genetic form of hemochromatosis and you can have an environmental or sort of secondary form. And this is kind of what I'm seeing is this secondary environmental form of iron overload. And it's not quite to the point where it's diagnosable as a primary hemochromatosis, but it's this sort of low level smoldering inflammation because iron uh, is, even though it's important for our bodies, um, it is inflammatory when it's not regulated. And so it can essentially create kind of a rusting effect in tissues. So a full iron panel is something that I'm always looking at on guys hmm. to see uh, what is the body's what what's the body doing with iron, and sometimes it's looking okay and normal, and then whatever a couple months later we retest and all of a sudden it's high. So this is the this is the tricky thing with um, testing uh, nutrients and minerals like iron and copper and magnesium is is that the blood is like this highway. And we're just seeing things in the highway, but like the tissues, like your liver and your kidneys, and those are the storage sites. And we don't have a really good way of like testing storage sites because it's invasive, like <laughs> biopsying your liver and taking a chunk of your liver out and trying to measure yeah. that. Like nobody wants super to do painful. that. Super painful, super painful, super expensive. It's not, it's not ideal. So we have to try and use blood work to get an idea of nutrient and mineral status. And it's not, it's like a snapshot in time. So we're, we have to start to try and link different things together in the blood work to try and get an idea of what the story is going on in this snapshot in time. And then oftentimes when we run multiple labs over several months, then we see several snapshots over a period of time. And that starts to tell the story of what's going on. And oftentimes I'll see at some point in their, in their care with me, either they're coming in with high iron or we see high iron uh, coming out of them at a certain point. And they'll go through these periods of fluctuating high iron, low iron, high iron, normal iron. And that iron is basically being, it's, it's, it's creating inflammation. Um, it's in a state of dysregulation. And the things that actually regulate it um, the most are copper and magnesium. Mm. And we tend to burn through copper and magnesium due to stress and over carbohydrate, um, over consuming carbohydrates. So when you over consume carbohydrates, you actually use up magnesium 
Interesting. Okay. When you're stressed, your body uses magnesium to buffer against the stress. So the more you overconsume carbohydrates and the more stressed out you are, the more you burn through magnesium and copper. And then that leaves what iron is left in your body in a more dysregulated state. And that's not to mention that once we started uh, agriculture and fortifying foods, we started using iron fortification in foods. And so we, that's still going on. That hasn't really changed. So you know, if you're eating processed and packaged foods that have been fortified with iron, then you're now getting this extra load of iron. And if you're, and what do they typically come with? The, the iron fortification comes with like cereal grains. <laughs> so you're getting excess carbohydrates that are now burning through your magnesium and giving you more iron in that product. So um, this is why it's just, I think, not a good idea to overconsume any of those foods. We really weren't designed to eat them. Fine every once in a while. Hey, it's like, you know, holiday times or whatnot. And, you know, you want to um, indulge in something from time to time. Probably not a big deal. But as far as like the staples of your diet goes, um, those things will be more problematic for your mineral status. So is it fair to say that when you see someone uh, with that excessive iron overload, are those people in general, would you say they're overloading because of what you just said, because of the sugary foods and the processed foods? Or do you also tend to see it with someone, let's say, who's over consuming meat uh, that or organ meats or whatever it is? No, not as not really as much because there's usually a balance of other minerals in the animal foods. So there's some argument that could be had around that as far as, you know, how was that animal raised and, you know, the quality of that, uh, the nutrient status of that animal. So, you know, that's a whole nother conversation, but in general, um, you know, the animal is going to have a more balanced ratio of those minerals in it. And so it tends to be less of a problem. Okay. Wonderful, man. And so with going back to what we were talking earlier, so is it now at this point after you've worked with someone to balance their blood sugar and their insulin, then looked at markers of inflammation uh, that might be overt or hidden markers of inflammation? And as a side note, you know, I've known you for 18 years and worked with you in so many different capacities. Mm -hmm. Uh, That being said, one of the things I've always appreciated so much about you is I've, you have such a, just your personality in general and, and the skill that you skills that you've honed over the years, you have such a grounded approach and an integrative approach to things. And I've never seen you jump to a conclusion based off of any one thing, yes. whether it's been orthopedically and structurally in the body, or it's been a lab marker. Like you've always, uh, either taken an approach of looking, as you said, over time, how these things, but if there's been one number on a blood marker, whether uh, uh, let's just throw out cholesterol or something like that, mm-hmm. you've always looked at five other areas of things and how these things work synergistically and, and, and where we are in the ranges that you look are so much tighter, the functional ranges than maybe like a general lab range. And so I've always appreciated that, that multifaceted nature of your approach. And so that being said, let's just say you've reduced uh, systemic inflammation in someone, mm-hmm. you've helped them manage their blood sugar at that point. Is now that the point that you look at testosterone or uh, are there others or another big thing that you're looking to kind of um, execute some, some support around? Yeah. So um, I think it's a good, good segue into talking about going back to the whole sleep issue. Okay. And that's, 
yeah, you basically, if you're not getting adequate sleep, deep sleep and have good oxygen while you're sleeping, uh, you you can't have normal levels of testosterone. So, mm. um, what I do in my practice is I usually have a client, uh, get a, um, a simple oxygen saturation, um, device that they wear on their finger or their wrist and it, uh, hooks to, or it syncs with an app on your phone and it will measure your oxygen saturation levels throughout the entire night and it'll graph it out. And then what's great about this is, is that they're not that expensive. They're like anywhere between hundred and 200 bucks. And, uh, it's really like giving yourself a sleep study every night mm. and you're getting, and the cool thing about that is, is that you can actually make modifications either in what happened that day, like trying to, you know, test it on days where you're maybe less stressed or ate differently or something else different in your environment and then get feedback as to how your sleep went that night. So instead of like, uh, just getting a sleep study done, which is a one night thing. That's typically how the diagnosis of sleep apnea is made. You can now basically give yourself a sleep study every night for a week long. And that's what I have people do is I have them do it for about a week and then they send me their data and then I look at it and there's um, a sort of a marker that they, that you get on there. It's called the, the ODI, which is the oxygen desaturation index uh, for percent and it basically it's giving you a percentage of how much your oxygen is dropping below four percent or more on average throughout the entire night and so if you're having um if that percent if that odi four percent is above nine then you're probably not getting enough oxygen throughout the night and you that's definitely a source of inflammation for the body to deal with that uh, will keep testosterone low. And I had, a, I had a case where that exactly happened, where uh, a client of mine um, got diagnosed with low T, went to the, uh, you know, the T clinic <laughs> and they just gave him testosterone and yeah, he was feeling better. And, um, but then he, he reached out to me and he was like, Hey, like, you know, uh, I kind of want to figure this out. And I said, well, in order for us to really figure this out, I would like you to come off the t testosterone because we won't know if we try and do an intervention of some sort. Right. We won't know because you're already on testosterone. You're already feeling better. So we won't know. <laughs> so I said, unfortunately, you know, if we want to figure this out, you kind of have to come off of it. So he did, you know, it was fine. It wasn't that bad. But as soon as we we measured his oxygen saturation for a week, it was like, red flag. Like you need to go get the diagnosis and we need to support this right away because this is uh, like, if this doesn't improve, then there's no way you're going to have normal testosterone. And he was having fatigue and not recovering from exercise, low libido, erectile dysfunction. So again, if you know, if like you're dealing with erectile dysfunction, are you sleeping well? Are you getting enough sleep? Because, um, that can be a source of it. And so as soon as he was able to get his diagnosis, which he ended up getting the sleep apnea diagnosis, he got a CPAP machine, which is a machine that helps you breathe at night. And within a week or two, his, his energy turned around. Everything started turning around. He was wow. feeling better in his workouts and it was overlooked, you know, like his primary doctor, his testosterone clinic doctor, like everybody overlooked it. And so, you know, we're so quick to, 
want to grab a supplement or a medication to optimize our T levels. But a lot of the doctors that, that run these clinics aren't trying to, they're, they're in the business of just giving people testosterone and, you know, doing it as carefully and appropriately as possible. But a lot of the times they're not taking the time to look for root causes as to why their t- their testosterone is low in the first place. In today's conversation, as you're learning, we really dive into the topic of male hormone optimization. Now, with that said, there are so many factors that influence the health of our body, of our mind, of our spirit. And having known Johnny for 18 years and now him being one of the facilitators at the Men of Movement Retreat, I can really share what he brings to the table is unlike anything I have experienced before. And so while so many of the things that we do at our retreats focus on harnessing this inner resource, I like to call it this inner resource so that amidst any chaos around us, we've really developed the toolkit, the internal toolkit to help us navigate the challenges in life. And so much of that has to do with, do we have the energy and the resources on board? When we're looking at the change process, change requires energy, especially if we're talking and looking at establishing long lasting change. And so if we are missing some of the fundamentals and the foundations of health, it's going to be really hard to sustain health for the long term. And so at our retreats, we focus over the course of four days. They are full on of 12 to 15 hour days, a whole series of activities, rituals, ceremonies. And a lot of it is geared towards exactly what we are talking today about, as well as once again, doing a lot of the inner work, the story work, the mental, emotional work so that we can be set up, not just in this moment when guys are with us for four days, but when they return home, that is what I care most about. Of course, making sure everyone's having a a good time, we're having fun and the container is safe and deep. But that being said, what really lights me up is seeing the changes and the transformation that last years and that affect families, friends, communities. And so if you are interested in dropping in with us at our next retreat, It is happening June 8th through the 11th back out in Mount Shasta, California at an organic farm. It is a small, it's an intimate container. And if you'd like to join us or learn more, you'll have an opportunity to hop on a free coaching call with me. And all you got to do is click in the show notes or go to my website, www.mikesalemi.io. In the upper right corner, you can hit a drop down button to see the offerings I have. Click the Men of Movement tab and you'll be able to book a call with me and fill out an application. Now let's get back to the show. That makes so much sense, man. And you and I were talking actually off here in a different context about the power and the importance of breath Mm -hmm. from a performance perspective, from a health perspective, function perspective. And I really feel, I mean, it's all important. Nutrition is absolutely important. Hydration is important. Our managing our thoughts. And I will say, you know, breath and sleep Mm -hmm. and especially the breath, the quality of the breath as you sleep, like mm-hmm. those two things right there can be massive, huge, massive. Huge. Yeah. I mean, I, I've experienced it myself, like especially even just taping my mouth shut yep. and sleeping and just, you know, I thought I was recovering, you know, uh, and then I tape my mouth and nasal breathe throughout the night. And then I'm like, holy shit, I feel like I just got a shot of, I don't know, steroids or something like that. Yeah. And I actually experimented with that when I got my own uh, oxygen saturation device and I was measuring my O2 levels overnight and I would experiment with mouth taping and oh, always wow. had way better <laughs> O2 levels when I mouth taped. Wow. And then I found that if I over ate a dinner, 
I would be worse, worse levels. I found that if I ate too much dairy, clogged up more, like didn't breathe well at night. So like, this is the cool thing about having your own devices is that you have this instant feedback and you can do these little, you know, N of one experiments with yourself to really find out how do I optimize my sleep? You know, I could be mistaken. So I think you would know, but on like a device, like an aura ring, those don't measure oxygen saturation. Is that correct? Or am I, I think the newer ones do. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I think the newer ones might, or either they're trying to make one that does, I, I don't recall, but, um, yeah, I know they're trying to. Yeah. Well, one of the things, cause I've done, I used, I think a, uh, a different device. I use something called Eversleep cause we were using it with firefighters, mm-hmm. uh, obviously because of the, the nature of their work. And, and what we found was, is just like, not surprisingly, their sleep is super poor. Mm-hmm. And what I've even noticed in myself is like, let's just say I go to sleep without the mouth tape as an example, my mouth closed, but due to every reason that you've said and others, I don't even realize that I actually am switching to mouth breathing. So I may be going to sleep thinking, oh, I don't breathe through my mouth or I'm not switching or I'm sleeping super soundly. And then as we're getting results back, or even I was doing this, this every day, I think I did it for like four or five days, but I was blown away at seeing, I was like, wow, I'm not nearly sleeping as deeply as I thought I was sleeping. Right. And there's a, and then, and then I started going to the taping of the mouth and like, but if you can identify that someone has sleep apnea, that'll change their fucking life. It does. It often does. And so, and sometimes you need to go down another rabbit hole because maybe there's something going on with the airway or the sinuses, you know, so sometimes, you know, structurally things need to be evaluated, but if you never had that evaluation, then you just don't know. So, you know, airway. Like a deviated septum or something like that. Exactly. Yep. Okay. A polyp or something that's stuck in there. It's literally restricting airflow. And so, um, yeah. I, I, again, I think that, that the airway and oxygen is completely overlooked when it comes to health for everyone, but specifically men's health, optimizing testosterone. Like if you can't get your oxygen levels right for sleep and even during the day, right? So, you know, you're, most of us are breathing in a more stressed state of physiology, meaning that we're we're, we're tending to, uh, be upper respiratory breathers. And, um, you can actually, I can actually tell when I look at somebody, if their ribs are a bit more flared out. Sure. Okay. So if somebody's ribs are more flared out and they're living in a state of spinal extension, like chest up to the sky. Yep. Kind of like that too much. Yeah. They're essentially living in a state of inhalation. So Mm. an inhalation is, is, is excitatory. It's sympathetic. Whereas exhalation is parasympathetic and that's closing down the ribs. So when somebody's like literally even structurally, you know, stuck in this kind of flared extended position, they're not going to have access to enough, um, exhalation to, to shift their nervous system parasympathetic and into a more rest digest repair state. So even that alone could be keeping a guy locked into a state of uh, stressed physiology, which is eventually just slowly creating this energy leak on their testosterone. That's fascinating. That makes total sense. I can visualize that for sure. And, you know, as it relates specifically now to to testosterone, you'd shared earlier, and I think many people will, their understanding is it is like you said, the primary male hormone. I'm curious when you're looking at testosterone, there's a few different types. Uh, 
what is the one that you are either primarily, like when people are saying I've got high T levels, like there's what T3, T4, free T, I don't even, you know, what are you looking at for that? So T3, T4 is thyroid hormones. Th- oh, okay. There you go. That yeah. shows how little I know about that. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I go to you. Exactly. <laughs> um, but uh, when, yeah, when we're measuring testosterone, typically we're looking at um, total testosterone and free testosterone. So total testosterone is uh, the... Uh, testosterone that's both free and bound. So um, you you have uh, for all your hormones. There's these little taxi cabs that sort of transport your hormones around the body, and they're called binding globulins, like sex hormone binding globulin, and that can be measured too. But um, so when we measure total testosterone, we're measuring the amount of testosterone that's bound to these little taxi cabs and what's just free floating and active. Um, so you, you want to get that as well as a measurement of free testosterone itself. And then that's usually a much smaller or lower number. And that's the active, uh, amount of the hormone that's actually having an effect on tissues. So somebody can actually have, um, high, uh, total testosterone, but low free testosterone. And I've seen that before. And sometimes that's due to, um, high sex hormone binding globulin proteins. So there's all, all of a sudden now a bunch of taxi cabs that have bound up the testosterone and now your body doesn't even have access to it. And the most common thing that causes that is blood sugar dysregulation. So it just keeps coming back to these fundamentals that throw off the physiology. Uh, and, um, you know, I see all these things change on lab work. So I see testosterone go up. So I don't do anything for the testosterone. I just work on (laughs) blood sugar, stress management, decreasing inflammation, finding the sources of the inflammation, which could be a number of things. Sometimes it's then it's going on their gut. They have a bunch of gut inflammation. So like one of the things that, that can happen there is, again, this comes back to diet and stress and all these fundamental things. But if you have intestinal permeability, as it's referred to in the literature, or leaky gut, as uh, that um, colloquially uh, known as, um, then you're going to uh, potentially have um, food particles leaking into the bloodstream, uh, as well as something called LPS, which is called lipopolysaccharides, and they're they're bacterial end products. So your 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 gut bacteria is is producing these things. It's normal, mm. um, but if those if that LPS gets into the bloodstream due to a leaky gut situation, that's going to create systemic inflammation throughout the body. So sometimes the inflammation is coming from the gut. And then once again, that inflammation will disrupt communication between brain and testes and throw off the luteinizing hormone. And so once again, you know, you can, somebody can come in to the clinic and they have this low testosterone, but they have a, you know, raging gut symptoms and poor sleep and stress. <laughs> so it, it oftentimes comes back to, uh, from, from what I see addressing these fundamentals, not even touching the testosterone in any way clinically, and then seeing the testosterone go up, just addressing these things. What would be some testosterone levels that you would say would be either alarming or, um, like what's a healthy range typically for that? Yeah. Um, so what I was going to do for the listeners is provide a list of markers to get done either by your doctor or whoever your provider is um, to see, see if they can run these tests for you. And I'll 
include the names of all the markers like glucose, hemoglobin A1C, insulin, the C-reactive protein, all the inflammatory markers, the iron panel, um, and then testosterone. Um, for testosterone, um, it somewhat depends on the age too of the of the guy. Um, so there will be some variance there, but um, in general, for for most adult males, um, somewhere between uh, 350, 400 to up to like 900 um, is, is a good range, but the, even that's kind of a big range and guys, you know, we, we like to sometimes tinker around and see, well, how do I feel if it's towards the upper end of the range? So as long as it's within that range, the total testosterone, um, if it's dropping below, if it's already on the borderline of like 350 or 300 or dropping low, then I'm obviously concerned the free testosterone. Usually I think if that's below about 10, it's, you know, Something to look into. Something to look into. And, and sometimes guys don't, you've, it's like sometimes you've lived with your, your state of fatigue yeah. and your stuff for so long that it like, it sometimes becomes a little bit difficult to, to tell like that there's actually a problem going on until someone like me starts asking questions. Well, like, well, how's, how's your morning erections? Oh, I used to get them. I don't have them anymore, but little things like that, where you're not recovering from exercise as well anymore. You're more fatigued, um, low libido. Um, you're having episodes of like depression from time to time. Mood stuff. Mood stuff. Mm. Um, these are all signs of low testosterone. So if, you know, just for the listeners, just going off that little checklist, like if you are having any of those, like it's a good thing to start testing and seeing what are my testosterone levels? What am I inflammation at? What's my blood sugar at? You know, with, uh, there's, a, there's a lot of talk, at least from, from my limited awareness of this, but around like uh, TRT, testosterone replacement therapy and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um, it, I'm curious just to hear your overall perspective on that. And if there was a time and a place that you would recommend exploring that, uh, what's been your experience with that or your perspective? Yeah. So, so one of the things that um, can happen is if you have all these problems going on in your body that we already talked about, blood sugar dysregulation, inflammation, um, poor sleep, and essentially your, your physiology has adapted into this different state now where, you know, your, your signaling hormones are all off. You, you're actually also upregulating something called aromatase, which is an enzyme that converts testosterone to estrogen. So that's super common when you have blood sugar dysregulation, inflammation, and poor sleep, you'll get an actual upregulation of this aromatase enzyme. Huh. And so now your testosterone is just over converting into estrogens. So imagine now you have this state of adapted physiology that's got the, all these pathways running, and then you put testosterone and TRT into that system. All those pathways are running the way they're running. So a lot of the times what can happen is, is that testosterone that you take, you know, as a patch or a cream or orally or injected, then just goes down those pathways and you get an overconversion into estrogen. And so now, you know, you haven't corrected the physiology. You've just put more testosterone into the system and you may feel a little bit better, but then some of that starts converting into estrogen. And a lot of the, the, the doctors that, um, work at the, the TST clinics will even prescribe like aromatase inhibitors and things to try and regulate that. But it's like, again, address the underlying physiology first before really going there. And, um, so that's one of the drawbacks or potential problems that guys 
could uh, run across if they're not working with an adept doctor that can kind of at least foresee those things. So again, I usually recommend that they address these issues in their lab work first. And then if, and, and only when those things are corrected, if it still seems like that testosterone is a little bit low and now you want to start experimenting with, uh, you know, either supplements or TRT, low dose TRT with again, a, a good doctor that's going to help you work through that process by all means, like go for it because there is some genetics at play here where, you know, some of us might just, our t- testosterone declines faster than others. Mm. And so it's, I think it's fine to, uh, once you've kind of addressed all those other issues and you've cleared all those other issues out to, uh, work with a, a doctor who's, who's, uh, uh, skilled with using it and, um, you know, start experimenting with it because, uh, all males actually go through something called andropause, which most guys don't know about because they're, we're all familiar with females going through menopause right. because it's such an abrupt drop off of hormones for, for females. But most guys don't know that we go through the same thing called andropause. And unfortunately that can happen at any age, meaning that if you have blood sugar dysregulation, inflammation, poor sleep, uh, you can go through andropause when you're in your late twenties. Hmm. And, and so this is what a lot of guys are experiencing is, is, these low T symptoms. Um, but yeah, the, the term for it is actually called andropause. So there's definitely a place for, you know, exploring TRT and certain supplements to optimize and boost testosterone. And, uh, there's other podcasts out that talked in depth about that. Um, but, uh, yeah, first get your blood sugar straight, reduce the inflammation as much as possible and make sure your sleep is good. And, and, oh, and I'll also say, you know, with the whole stress piece, mm-hmm. um, one of the, my sort of favorite things to look at is heart rate variability. Okay. So that you can get now most on like Apple watches and, you know, you can get a free app on your phone. Uh, HRV for training, uh, is the one that I use the free app. And, uh, if your HRV number is starting to drop below 60, you're in a state of more sympathetic dominance. Now that may be coming from your sleep. That may be coming from overtraining. That may be coming from stress, poor diet, a number of things, but at least that gives you some ongoing biofeedback as to the state of your nervous system. So I just wanted to throw that out there that that's another great tool that I use to uh, help guys get instant feedback as to really what direction is their nervous system going and, you know, what sort of strategies should they start implementing if that they see that HRV start to drop, which would be working in techniques, right? Would be the breathing Tai Chi, Qigong yoga, or just going out for a walk in nature, right? Spending time with family and friends and relaxing. Absolutely, man. And and again, what's so cool about how you approach the body to me, at least is going back to how grounded, how integrative and just fucking, I mean, super detailed. Let me just say that, like you're probably the most detail oriented people I've met. Uh, and that's the the truth or my truth in that. Mm-hmm. And yet you still focus on such fundamentals. Yeah, And that's something that's come up over and over and over for me lately. Um, 
you know, I was telling you before I was just at a sheepdog response course uh, with Tim Kennedy out in, uh, in Austin and in Texas. And like one of the things they just were kept drilling, especially with their military background is just soldiers see fundamentals everywhere on their bed. There's like a a little poster, a sheet of paper above their bed of the fundamentals of whatever they're doing. When they're shooting, there's fundamentals written. When they're going to the bathroom, there's fun, like a list of fundamentals. And it's like, I just had this big aha that I was just like, I mean, I've always known the foundations, mm-hmm. you know, are so important, but that just hammered it home so much more to me. And so I appreciate everything that you've shared because those fundamentals, oftentimes where we tend to look is oftentimes not surprising, not not surprisingly anymore, not where the the issue lies. And so if someone were to choose to do TRT at a given point, I would imagine that by focusing on everything that you just shared, their experience with it would probably get so much more out of it because again, they're not just perpetuating the same bullshit system and the same inflammation that's happening. Like they're actually giving themselves a position to thrive. Yeah. And also something that you said earlier really rings true to me around, you know, so many, and and I've been in this position many times as well. Like we don't really know what our level of health or optimization can be because the state that we're in has just now been deemed as normal. Right. And life goes on. You've, you've, You've adapted to it just to survive. So you're no longer feeling as much contrast to your environment as you did before. So you're just kind of dealing with it and in some way, somewhat numb to it. Right. And the cool thing about you know, how you practice is, I mean, I'm fortunate enough to have you close by, but you do a ton of virtual stuff. Mm -hmm. So as we close this out, brother, um, please share again where people can get that free resource. Thank you so much for doing that. How people can find you and the type of work that you're doing uh, most prevalently right now. Yeah, absolutely. So the website is unified FMA, which stands for functional medicine acupuncture.com. So unified FMA.com. Uh, social media is uh, Instagram unified FMA. I'll, I'll give a link to in the show notes we can put so that, uh, anybody can, um, enter their email and uh, get a, an email where I'll list out all the uh, blood markers that I recommend and the sort of optimal ranges to start looking uh, at those things in. So that'll be my gift to all the guys out there so they can begin to start looking at these things and thinking about it. And the work that I, I do mostly is via Zoom or telemedicine. So I can work with people uh, pretty much anywhere, uh, you know, run, run labs and either at your home or near you and, uh, consult with you via zoom. And, uh, if there's, you know, uh, anything going on physically, then I usually have people come into the office for that. Um, but sometimes even that's important too, in cases like this, as I mentioned, like ribs and the mm-hmm. state of the posture. So sometimes even, um, getting a full, what I would say a full workup, which includes physical exam. In addition to lab work, physical exam is like a dying art these days. So, <laughs> um, cause your doctor will maybe tap a few reflexes and like <laughs> spend, you know, 10 minutes doing a physical, um, my mentors in, uh, functional medicine have put some tremendous emphasis on, the value and the utility and the the information that you can get because you're looking at the body and the body's reflect. If you know how to pick up on the signs, even from a Chinese medicine perspective, I look at the tongue and I feel the pulse. So if you're in person, I can feel the pulse. If you're distance, I can have you send me tongue pictures 
and that's still helpful. But um, yeah, just physical exam is is huge, and sometimes it is very necessary. So I'll usually tell people when I do an introductory discovery call uh, with them that uh, whether or not that would be a good idea. Or sometimes we'll just see how far we can get with just doing consulting work distance. Um, but, um, but yeah, um, I give all new, um, potential clients a, uh, complimentary discovery call. So if anybody's interested in that, they can sign up and we can do either a phone call or a video call to, uh, just kind of briefly discuss the case, what's going on and just how I work with people and what it would look like working together. Beautiful brother. That's amazing. And as we wrap this up again, is there, uh, if you were to maybe share one piece, like one closing piece as it relates to optimizing uh, hormones and health for men, what comes up for you as, as a final piece to share? I would really say that uh, the sleep is huge. It's, I mean, you know, all the other things too are important, but sleep is one third of your entire life. So if you can't get that optimized, it, the other stuff doesn't matter. So just really kind of hammer home. Sleep is huge. So many people have issues with it. So let's, let's tackle that. <laughs> Hell yeah, brother. Well, dude, thank you so much for yeah. being here, for sharing everything that you did and also for providing that resource for, for the listeners, man. Super appreciate yeah. all you do, brother. Thank you. Love you, my man. Love you too. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Be sure to follow the podcast on Apple and leave a review. It means a lot. We all have a path and I'd love to hear how this podcast has inspired you in some way to live yours.